Welcome to this episode of the podcast, everyone. This was a super interesting discussion on the Bitcoin standard. You've heard that term before. You probably have heard of the book. And what we did in this episode was elaborated on what that means for people that are living the Bitcoin standard. And we, we talked a lot about us and how we are living the Bitcoin standard and what that really even means and drew a couple of analogies between us living the Bitcoin standard right now and how people in the 1990s, 1980s, when the computer came out or when internet came out, had to be one of the first ones to use it and develop on it so that it is what it is today. So it was a super interesting episode for us to um, talk about and analogize with the internet and how that relates to living the Bitcoin standard now and what the future potential of Bitcoin is as, um, uh, yeah, as a, yeah, what the future potential of Bitcoin is. <laughs> That's all. Well, we had a great conversation. We love recording this and we hope you do as well. The thoughts and opinions expressed by Keegan Francis, Murgakshi Palway, and the guests interviewed on the Go Full Crypto podcast are solely their own. The content discussed are intended to be for informational purposes only. All right, so first things first, the Bitcoin standard, not to be confused with the book written by Seftin Amus. Is that how you pronounce his name? I'm not sure, but... I but it, it, it can be confused with that because like, you, if you want to know more about the Bitcoin standard, you can go read that book. That's true. Well, the, the thing that I want to talk about more right now is I, I was listening to this episode on what Bitcoin did and Peter McCormack was interviewing Dan Held and they were talking about hyper-Bitcoinization as well as what living the Bitcoin standard is. And as the host of that of what Bitcoin did was talking about, oh, I just realized that I'm living the Bitcoin standard. I heard that and I was like, hey, we've been living the Bitcoin standard too. So we wanted to talk a little bit more about, okay, what is the Bitcoin standard and what does living the Bitcoin standard look like? And Keen, we've covered this in so many episodes before. We, you, you say that you've taken your salary in Bitcoin. Not that I wouldn't like to, except, except we just have operating expenses since we are a family. And not everything can be paid in, in Bitcoin just yet. And what does that Bitcoin standard look like? So let's take a couple examples, starting with us. You get paid salary in Bitcoin. You recently gave an example of how it was possible for you to sell Bitcoin if you wanted to into Canadian dollars on the exchange itself and then buy groceries with it in the, like, in, within the span of 10 minutes, if, if not less. Yeah, right, exactly. So I think the point to drive home here is like the book set talks about a Bitcoin standard on a global level, uh, whereas like the Bitcoin standard can be applied on an individual or on a business or on a municipal level, right? So there's various levels of Bitcoin standards. And if we want to achieve some sort of global Bitcoin standard, then it probably starts as a grassroots movement, just like how like Bitcoin in general starts as a grassroots movement, like we run a node, like it starts with one person running a node and then it grows into hundreds and thousands and then one person owns it and then it grows into hundreds and thousands. And then one person goes on the Bitcoin standard, then it grows into hundreds of thousands and then a city like Miami does it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So yeah, just this this past week, news, news broke out that Miami became the first uh, Bitcoin municipality and it was this, this tweet, I'm going to quote Palm because it's Palm's tweet and he said, 
wow, Miami Mayor Francis Suarez just got Miami into Bitcoin. And the, the couple of things that that means is employees paid in Bitcoin, residents pay fees in Bitcoin, taxes in Bitcoin, city treasury in Bitcoin. That's that is absolutely unreal. And it is the first Bitcoin municipal in the United States. Uh, mark how he said United States and and, and uh, that and not the world, because there are other parts of the world that are living on the Bitcoin standard. Bitcoin Beach, for example. Right. Small little uh, town in uh, El Salvador. Yeah. So, you know, something that I can channel the audience thinking about or, or wondering about is, OK, cool. Isn't it too early to live the Bitcoin standard? Because Bitcoin's volatility is is isn't that of a concern you know if you pay groceries if you liquidate bitcoin one day and you pay your groceries with it and you realize that oh if you would have liquidated it the next day you, you would have sold some bitcoin into canadian dollars the next day you would have been able to keep more of your bitcoin because the price of bitcoin had gone up so you know this is all great news but i think a skeptic can wonder isn't it too early for the bitcoin standard and what is the answer to that? Oh, well, you know, <laughs> speaking out loud, I would say that it is very early to adopt the Bitcoin standard. Indeed, that is absolutely correct. But it has to start somewhere. Like in 1993, when the Internet was commercialized, who was it? Oh, we're going to um, release a really cool ep the, and the episode next. And um, Anant with Anantapati, and he was talking about the, the red flag um, policy or I don't remember exactly what, but you had to... Oh man, I don't remember it. Wait, like it was a red flag act or something. You'll just hear it in the next episode. But uh, with what I'm trying to get at is in the 1990, into the 1990s when Bitcoin was commercialized. Oh my gosh. Okay, when the internet was commercialized, there were obviously a lot of people who had to take that leap and build something on the internet when nobody else was doing it. And those are the first movers. Those are the people that took the risk. And I'm sure there were a lot of critics and skeptics in that period of time that said, well, isn't it too early to build on the internet? We don't even know if this has any potential for the future. Isn't it too early to build a website? No, not even, people don't even have, you know, access to a computer because it's so expensive. What are you going to do by building a website? But someone had to. Someone had to take that first step, take that risk, and they were too early. But, you know, 30 years, fast forward 30 years, and everybody has a website. That's essentially your digital um, storefront. So with respect to living the Bitcoin standard, yes, Bitcoin is volatile. But for someone like us, Keegan and myself, who've converted 90, over 95% of our wealth in, in Bitcoin, what are we supposed to do? We, we essentially just have to live this way and, um, you know, do our best to ride the volatility in the best sense or in the most efficient sense. But this is us. We're living the Bitcoin standard. It's crazy to think of right now, but 10 years down the line, 20 years down the line, when everybody's doing it, we would be proud to say we were the, the first, among the first to live the Bitcoin standard. Yeah, and the short-term volatility is mitigated by long-term substantial gains, right? So we can suffer a 20, 15, 10% loss on a daily, weekly, monthly basis uh, as long as Bitcoin rises by a factor of 50 over the next 10, 20, 15 years. So we're entirely prepared to do that. And what, what that actually means is like, for example, when we pay a contractor, so let's, say, let's say that we pay them 0.01 Bitcoin for some task or one month. 
uh, well, when Bitcoin is, let's just say that's $1,000 right now. Well, when Bitcoin's a, a million dollars, <laughs> 0.01 Bitcoin is $10,000. We actually retroactively paid them 10 times more than that job's worth. But what we're actually doing is we're accelerating the rate at which the network itself grows and we're accelerating the network effects. And so our, our contractors, our employees actually get to co-benefit and co like in really significant ways as long as they hodl and hodl hard. Uh, and Bitcoin. hodl stands for hold on with dear life for those of you who didn't know. Yeah. As long as they hodl through uh, through the dips, through the short-term volatility, then they get to also benefit in massive ways in, in the long term, which is, is really cool. That's one of the ways that we justify spending our Bitcoin. We don't do that often. Yeah. And drawing again a comparison to, well, you know, if someone says, isn't it stupid that if the, if, okay, so that, you know, you're, for one, you're predicting that the price, one Bitcoin will equal to say a million dollars in price in whatever year's time. One, you're making that prediction, and two, you're giving away Bitcoin um, to your employers, to your contractors, when the potential for Bitcoin to rise in price is much higher. Isn't it more beneficial for you to just pay them in whatever fiat currency? And <laughs> you know, a couple of things to say there. I'm gonna address the second point first. Our contractors are all around the world. <laughs> it would take us more time, more effort, and hence more money to pay our contractors using a different means of payment if we don't use Bitcoin. That's right. So we are saving ourselves a lot of money if everything was equated and eventually in money. We're saving ourselves a lot of money by paying our contractors in Bitcoin. And then the other thing is also we're accelerating the adoption. We're encouraging the Bitcoin standard. We're in, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't want to be a stingy Bitcoiner who says, well, I'm going <laughs> to hoard all of my Bitcoin and give you none. Um, so... That's that. And then to my former point, which was, uh, which was what exactly? I don't remember. Your former point? Yeah, I think it was, oh gosh, but I had an analogy to it. I'll just start with the analogy. And it was in, in the 1990s, computers were so expensive, right? Like if you had a computer in your home growing up, uh, in the 1990s or whatever 1985 or whatever probably paid like four thousand dollars for you it. you had to you were privileged right you you had to have the your family had to have the money to have a computer in your home and yes it was expensive then but computers cost so little compared to then well you can get a right supercomputer in your pocket you have a supercomputer in your pocket. Well, what I mean is you can get that for $0 now. Like there's phone companies that will subsidize the cost as long as you pay the plan, right? That's true. And and then like my point being that in the 1990s around there, someone had to foot that cost, right? Someone had to buy that super expensive computer for there to be research and development on making those computers cheaper and more accessible True. over time. So that's another thing by us adopting the Bitcoin standard, promoting it, distributing it, accelerating it. We are being the people that are footing the cost up front of parting with our Bitcoin so that later more people can benefit from it. And I'm very proud of us for that. Yeah, I should say. As long as you're tooting your own horn, someone has to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, someone has to. I. I. I mean, I mean I'm not trying to say that with uh, pride or anything, or maybe I am. I'm not sure. Anyway, point is, Bitcoin standard has to be done. Yeah. 
And this this whole Miami thing is actually huge. Uh, we we just finished a presentation that we gave to our local university, and we were talking. We went through all the companies that have in the last year converted their cash reserves into Bitcoin, and I, I just realized that like Miami, we could have put that at the end there. Um, we finished that that slide with uh, with Tesla and the fact that Tesla just converted their uh, like seven point seven percent of their cash reserves into Bitcoin. And realistically, we could have thrown Miami on there. Um, we finished that slide by saying, uh, when will be the, like, who will be the first municipal government and when will that occur? And little did we know there was this piece of news sitting on Twitter and in our in email inboxes saying that, okay, it's actually Miami that, that is going to do it. And this is just another domino. And in the grand scheme of things, like this is happening so rapidly. I know I was actually just thinking that too is it is slowly and then suddenly right no one would have well very few people I shouldn't say no one very few people believed that bitcoin was going to be a thing 10 years ago it was I would it was an experiment it was this thing that Satoshi Nakamoto produced and was like hey you know this thing does this it's cool check it out let's try it out let's try it out and, yeah. and people are the ones who actually bought into it and continued to participate in the bitcoin network and brought it to where it is it's it's all because of the efforts of a lot of people who got in early on and stuck with it until right now yeah the hodl heroes yeah yeah hodl heroes i hadn't heard that before but hodl heroes are, are uh, the people that bought bitcoin when years ago or mined bitcoin and kept it from years ago but there's there's other uh, people that I would say also have earned credit for continuing to develop on the Bitcoin blockchain for so long. And um, it's less to do with having Bitcoin in their wallets and more to do with, oh my gosh, look at this technology that is a global payment system and uh, it's, it's going to change the world. Yeah, the people building the infrastructure that actually makes it possible for Miami to do this, right? Like... Even if Miami wanted to, let's just say that they're a super early adopter and they wanted to be able to pay their employees and pay taxes and fees and keep their treasury in, in Bitcoin in 2013. Let's just say that they wanted to for, for the sake of the example. They couldn't. Like the infrastructure just simply wasn't there. Yeah. Right. Like it would for a they would just get ridiculed. And, and uh, who was the president at the time? Obama probably would have been like, hey, you guys, you guys OK down there? Like, are you, are you thinking clearly? Right. There just wouldn't be that level of acceptance. And, and the institutional technology providers, uh, they, they, they didn't exist. Right. So like the, the key security management, the ability to distribute large amounts of Bitcoin to employees, the ability to pay taxes and, and uh, reconcile that with respect to the U.S. dollars, all that infrastructure didn't exist and now we're here. And so to the point that you were making earlier, uh, the people that have been like charging money for their service, their their chain walking service, their chain analysis services, their, their conversion services, the exchanges, all of this stuff is uh is that early $4,000 computer to, to bring the analogy back. Yeah, for sure. And and something that we were asked actually in that presentation, Keegan just talked about that we we gave to a local university here earlier today. A question that we got asked is, uh, you know, one Bitcoin's now sixty thousand Canadian dollars. How is it possible for me to invest in Bitcoin? And this is a common misconception. You can buy as much Bitcoin as you want, and that means zero point zero 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 one is the smallest unit. Because one Bitcoin can be 
cut or can be divided into a hundred million pieces. So let's say that you are in the UK and you want to buy a hundred pounds. You want to convert a hundred pounds into Bitcoin. You can do that. It'll be something like 0.000 something, but it's possible. And this, um, this bias that we have towards having to own full numbers. Yeah. It's real, okay? <laughs> it's very real you wanting to have one full bitcoin. And and you know, unfortunately, it's not possible. And It's not possible for every person for on the every planet. For every person, that's true to have one full bitcoin. In fact, there'll only be at most 21 million people that have one bitcoin, but even then that's that's like one bitcoin each. Yeah, one bitcoin each. That's actually impossible though because there's provenly yeah. that there's it's proven that there's a number of bitcoin that are just straight up lost to that's the world. true and and then we're kind of diverging from the value that bitcoin brings to this world right like the point isn't for you to have one full bitcoin the point is well do you want to hold cash or do you want to preserve the wealth that you have and convert it into electronic digital cash and if that is your main focus then convert your did your your cash your government cash into bitcoin which is electronic cash and then you've accomplished what you set out to do you don't have to necessarily get one full whatever if you can't and that's not a bad thing either it's not something that i don't know it's it just not right we need to dispel that expectation that yeah you, that expectation thank you that, that you should like in order to be meaningfully within bitcoin you need to have one like no that's that's not a thing. I, I think it, it's actually more useful to talk, uh, talk in terms of Satoshis at this point, right? Because Satoshis actually have more meaning than one full Bitcoin. Like one full Bitcoin is 60,000 Canadian dollars. And for a lot of people, that's more money that they make in a year. Right. But one full Bitcoin can be talked in terms of, what is it? 600 Satoshis? Did I calculate that right? Six. So sorry, sorry. Oh my gosh, million six hundred million. That's what I wanted to say. Yeah. Because the s- smallest unit of a bitcoin is known as a satoshi, so one bitcoin in Canadian dollars is well, hundred million satoshis. Yeah. Sorry, I'm, me- I'm messing up the numbers. Yeah, there. I said six hundred million for yeah, some reason. I'm like going did. back. Like, wait, wh- why did I say that? Yeah, I don't know why you said that. Anyway. so the the question that this person asked was really interesting uh they said something along the lines of there's uh government controls to keep the dollar pegged to something right and like the u.s dollar in theory was pegged to gold uh like long ago but it's no longer pegged to gold what's it pegged to and it's like okay it's pegged to a basket of assets right uh consumer price index and you're like, okay, well, that's really abstract, right? You go to the shopping mart, you pick out a random basket of goods, you total up the cost, and that's somehow how the dollar is pegged. Like, I'm, I'm scratching my head. That doesn't make intuitive sense to me. But uh, anyway, I digress. The person said, can Bitcoin ever be pegged to the dollar in some way, shape, or form? It's or like, have a floating price forever. Right. And Or is it going to have a floating price forever? And Rugakshi, you answered the question. Uh, you said, no, look, uh, Bitcoin is actually the first free market of money that the world has ever had. And so like Bitcoin trades internationally, globally, uh, uh, 24-7, 365, the whole world gets to uh, buy and sell Bitcoin and essentially decide its price at any one given time. Therefore, it's impossible for it to ever be pegged to something. However, and then I added, you can peg a government currency to an amount of Bitcoin. And in that sense, 
we've achieved a Bitcoin standard. That's when if we if our governments decide to peg their fiat currency to digital gold, Bitcoin, then we've achieved the Bitcoin standard on a, on a global uh, yeah. or political level. I mean, that begs, that begs the question, okay, when if we're facing another disaster of any sort and in order to uh, incentivize spending to maybe come out of a slump, then how are we going to, uh, I guess, put more, push more money in the economy? And we'd have to come up with different answers then because that was essentially why we went off the gold standard. I remember reading a yeah. lot about this and... Fiat was great for being able to monitor how much you can inject, how much more supply you can inject to incentivize spending when you're going through um, a recession and when you are in, in amid war. Because wait, is that right? More war as well. Well, I mean, it can also be used to stimulate the economy. War. Like that's true. Like independent of what's going on in war. Uh, or whether or not there's war happening um, in your country or not, like you can create the money and then stimulate the the economy that way. It, it comes at the cost of inflation, but I mean, governments have all, all around the world have to like okay, two percent inflation per year, three percent inflation. We can we can bear with that because that's kind of the rate at which we would like our economies to grow. But you don't have that same freedom with uh with a gold back system because you're limited by how much gold that that country is holding yeah um but also with respect to the two percent inflation i'm reading about this and i'm definitely an amateur at understanding this um, and knowing about this but i'll, I'll say what i know it two percent inflation is fine prices but what we don't see is the the side effect of prices rising not at the rate at which wages rise so if the cost of your groceries rises, but you're not getting paid enough to match those costs, then you're still at a loss and inflation isn't helping you. And that just kind of further div divides the, the people that <laughs> well, are working low, yeah, low income jobs versus uh, businesses. If, we can if I was to put it really, really staunchly. Yeah, if we can imagine a line like the poverty line, I know that a lot of mainstream economists use that that term but like imagine there's this line and it's like you need to make this much money per year in order to sustain yourself well just think about rent think about uh, the basket of goods at the grocery store think about just the cost of living heat electricity internet etc uh, as the prices of those things rise that poverty line goes up uh yes yes it goes up including that, that not the poverty not the bottom line but the the line that marks the divide. So you're right. saying that the the gap, the poverty. More gap people are included yeah. in in the the demographic of people who are right. in poverty if wages don't rise uh, As, in in accordance. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a really interesting. So we've talked about this on the podcast. I think it's the Cantillon effect or Cantillion. I've heard it pronounced a couple different ways. <laughs> but that's like okay, this all this new money is being created and it's being injected into the economy. Where is it being in injected? It's being injected at the top. And what happens when it's injected at the top? Well, the people who receive it first get to spend that money at its true value, at the value of the, the current value of the dollar. After it's dispersed throughout the economy, uh, that's when inflation starts to take it, uh, take effect. So the, by the time that trickle-down economics actually disperses that money to, quote-unquote, the bottom, uh, then the people are already suffering from the, the cost of inflation and the money is not meaningfully uh, allocated to them. And that, again, only exacerbates exacerbates the uh, the wealth inequality because the top get to spend it on assets and the bottom have to spend it on the cost of living which is rising it's just this really vicious cycle yeah 
I think that it just goes to say that to answer that to go off of the answer to that question that oh is the is will Bitcoin ever be pegged to some sort of cur- government currency or will it always be a floating price and then the answer being well what if government currencies are actually pegged to Bitcoin instead later eventually not right now yeah. not right now is not a great time not at all and, and well, I mean it's a good time it's just not going to happen it's no I, well, I don't think I wouldn't say it's a good time because what what does that even mean like, if one Canadian dollar was pegged to uh, one Bitcoin. One I Satoshi just, or? What, what, how, I, I just don't even Satoshis. know. What does, how does that even work? <sighs> right now, I, I, I've been following this Twitter account and uh, I might botch this a little bit, but they're saying that one, 21 Satoshis is equal to $1 now. Um, and I might have the numbers off uh, by a factor of 10. It might be 210 when Satoshis. When you say 21 Satoshis, are you meaning 0.00000021? Uh, I am meeting, yes, uh, yes, six zeros followed yeah. by two one. Followed by two, number two, and number one. That's correct. Okay. Yeah, that many Satoshis is equal to one dollar. And that number... Which dollar? Canadian or US? US. Okay. Yeah. And so if we look at the trend of the last 10, 12 years, uh, I, we're in a hyperinflation event. If you measure everything in Bitcoin, if you measure all goods, all Teslas, all... Uh, um, Fitbits, uh, MacBook computers, everything, price of goods, price of currency. If you measure those things in terms of Bitcoin, we're, we're experiencing hyperinflation right now, today. And that's that's a really interesting perspective because it's like, okay, do you want to avoid hyperinflation? <laughs> yes, buy Bitcoin. That's that's kind of your answer. Yeah, that is the narrative. Please do not take that as investment advice. <laughs> However, th- this is something that we've actually been asked by a lot of people. They say, well, what do you actually do? What's your business model? And just if if you are also wondering that what we do is essentially fast track the uh, the time, the process for you to get into Bitcoin. If that is to convert your personal assets into Bitcoin, or if it is to convert your business assets into Bitcoin. Disclaimer, we don't take your money and do it for you, but we guide you through the process, essentially hand-holding you so that, one, we can make sure you don't make any mistakes uh, because we will be there throughout the process. And two, you don't have to spend time trying to figure out what the best and the safest way to do it is because we've already done it and we can use our knowledge and expertise to help you do it better, faster, more efficiently. So we are consultants. We are Bitcoin consultants, if I was to say. Um, and if you are the kind of person who's who wants to convert some of your cash reserves into Bitcoin or just invest in Bitcoin, but you don't want to spend time looking at resources yourself, you just kind of want your hand held, you want to do it in a shorter amount of time and you want the educational experience because we're not going to leave you at the end of it and say, okay, that's it, you're done. We will guide you and make sure that you're self-sufficient with respect to handling your finances, handling your resources. So if you want to consult with us to make that happen for yourself, please reach out because that is essentially what we do as part of our business. Nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> that's the <a> sales pitch. <laughs> it wasn't a sales pitch. Well, it's just explaining what we do. It's awesome because, yeah, I mean, you nailed it. Uh, there's uh, like the one thing that I always tell people is, okay, there's a total loss. There's a risk of a total loss if you make a mistake, right? So if you don't have someone uh, like, like us helping you along, and if you haven't done your research, then, then you are at risk for that. I mean, 
if you're technically savvy and, and you know how to copy and paste and you follow some simple rules, then uh, you should be safe. Um, but it, it's hard to know what you don't know, right? It's essentially, that's, that's if you're the, starting yeah. from zero, if you're, if, you're, if you're just starting. You don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And uh, you can use us because we know what you don't know as long as we, you know, we'll sit down and we'll ask you some questions and then we'll figure out where you are in your journey. And we'll chart the course. And that's really helpful for people. Um, we've, we've got really great feedback from both businesses and, uh, and individuals that, that have used our help. Yeah, not our help, our services. Our we're services. Not, we're not helping, we're, <laughs> we're servicing. Them. We're also giving people a, a community. So like what that looks like is we have a newsletter and I, I publish a, a, a free newsletter and then a paid newsletter. Uh, on a weekly basis and that just kind of drips people the uh, the latest news of what's happening in, in Bitcoin in the world of crypto and, and it also gives them tips so the paid newsletter we we actually put like real numbers from our own portfolio our business portfolio and um, and our personal portfolio and say look this is what we're doing with our money this is why we're doing it this way this is how we're accomplishing going full crypto and uh, people love that because it's like, okay, wait, these are your actual numbers and this is how it works. You've been in this for six months and what's the situation now? Like that's that's really uh, quite useful for people. Yeah, absolutely. Great sales pitch. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah, it wasn't a sales pitch. It was, uh, no, I'm kidding. Um, Wonderful. Well, why don't you wrap us up here, Murga? Yeah, well, thank you everyone so much for listening. Um, if you have any comments, questions, queries definitely reach us we love hearing from you you can reach us at ready at gofullcrypto.com and we will get back to you and with that stay tuned listen to our next interview with Anantapadia because it was an excellent interview and uh, talk to you next week (laughs) 